1: theater and the visual arts this is the working artist project
2: good evening ladies and gentlemen my name is gregory agi and we'd like to welcome you all to the working artist project and uh, we have uh, the wonderful darian douglas
0: in the house darian how you doing you know i'm having a great week this is one of those weeks where either everything can change or everything can stay the same you know so i'm uh yeah i'm having a good time man how you doing I'm doing well. I, I made a, a tragic mistake of running this afternoon
2: at noon in New Orleans hey. in August, and not a good idea. I wouldn't recommend it.
0: <laughs> but
2: man, you know, I was I was thinking about this today, Derry. We've been doing this every Monday for a year now.
0: Yep. Thank you, pandemic. Thank you. I
2: got. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I think I think Jerron, uh, We had Amari Ansari on last year, yep. and, and that was one of the first podcasts we had. And it's like, man. We've been doing this pretty
0: regularly. Yeah, bro. And we're not going nowhere, y'all. So keep keep tuning in. Uh, send Greg a love notes on Instagram. Don't send me love notes, but send Greg love notes. He likes them. So I probably won't respond. <laughs> 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 Just make sure y'all check out the podcast and um, tune in on Spotify and all the other podcast places, as well as right here on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. We everywhere, y'all. We everywhere. Definitely. Well, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and uh, we have a very special
2: guest this evening. Uh, we have a, a fantastic musician and uh, the special programs coordinator here at the, uh, the uh, MACNO, which is the musicians, the Music and Culture Coalition of New Orleans. It always trips me up for some reason. And um, She's a fantastic musician. She spent a, a, a good portion of uh, some time playing at the, uh, the world-famous Pat O'Brien's Piano Bar. Uh, she's also a fantastic trumpet player and uh, a musical director of, of several uh, musical ventures here in New Orleans. So um, we, we'd actually let's let's go ahead and bring on the uh, the fantastic Miss Hannah Krieger Benson to the Working
0: Artists Project. That's right, Hannah. I got all the buttons. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's like old time radio with the, uh, the special sound effect. I love it.
2: Darian's actually got a bunch of people living
0: in his living room. He's in New York. He's got like 30. That's roommates. right. I got 50. I got 50 roommates. Those those are my roommates clapping back in the back. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. That sounds very New York. Uh, hi y'all. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And yeah. Thank you so much
2: for joining us. It's such a pleasure to, to have you on. How are you doing this afternoon,
1: Hannah? Um, I'm good. I, uh, in in the in the same spirit as you i also went for a run and i'm still recovering from the from the sun in the summer here in new orleans
0: oh
2: uh,
1: it gets so hot out there <laughs> so hot. but other than that i'm great i'm also actually on my last day of a breakthrough covid quarantine so as of tomorrow i'm allowed to be around people again which i'm very excited about um so, uh,
2: that's, that's did you just have COVID or did you, oh no.
1: I did. And, you know, thank goodness for, for vaccinations and, and, you know, mild case and all that. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a, a couple week saga cause my partner got it. And then, you know, I, I sort of was, were trying to trying to keep me from getting it. And I was testing at home every day. And then on like the sixth day, finally got a, a positive test and then I did get really sick. Um, so yeah, breakthrough with Delta Covid is no joke.
0: wow, I'm sorry to hear that Covid is out here changing changing the landscape of what we do, you know. I agree with that. And uh, that's that's kind of the reason why we've been online for a year.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got really used to these little zoom zoom squares, you know, and just like knowing people only from like here up. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's 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 been quite the experience. Hopefully at some point we're going to we we'll move back to real life and maybe everyone will get vaccinated. Ah, hey, hey, everyone who watching the working artist project, maybe maybe you should consider a vaccination or uh, just don't leave your house. <laughs> oh. <know. laughs> but um uh, anyways, this you know, I don't want to make this political about whatever. I, unfortunately, it's even crazy that that's a political statement to say something about a vaccine. That's uh-huh. nuts. Hey. But uh let's 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 like we'll get right into it. So, ha- what what have you been doing over this this whole year with the, with COVID?
1: <laughs> what's what's been your life? What's what, what's your life been like? I love I love this question that we've all been asking each other. How has your pandemic been? <laughs> um, so like everybody else, I had sort of radical um pivoting in my life. You know, you mentioned that I am a piano player, player at uh, Pat O'Brien's, although. You know, not this week because I've been I've been um, at home hiding.
2: Is Patos um, back open?
1: Patos has been open for about eight eight weeks. Wait, um, time is really mushy, y'all. You know, it might only be seven weeks at this point. Like the end of middle or end of June, I think. Um, and yeah, we were kind of back at it, and then, um, you know, obviously I wasn't gonna gonna go to work um, once I once I knew I had COVID, so. Um, I didn't, I didn't work this past weekend. Um, But yeah, Paddos has been my main source of income for the last
2: Eight years And um, so so for maybe those people who haven't been to new orleans or maybe have visited new orleans and got so drunk that they don't remember going to paddos uh well <laughs> this it's like a one of the most iconic bars and in in piano music spaces in the in the uh, in the world at this point and i was wondering if you'd be able to tell us a little bit about what paddos is and what you do over there. <laughs> um,
1: okay fun fact about paddle it is a dueling piano bar um, as far as I understand, they invented that format back in like the thirties. Um, and you know, it, it, now it's a thing that happens all over the world and you, know, you have two piano players. Um, it is they. it's the place that invented the hurricane drink, which is the one with tons and tons of rum in it and red fruit juice and whatnot. Um, and they're very powerful. I've only ever had like one sip of one and I was like, okay. Um, they um it's it's a very sort of I mean, like you said it's a well-known tourist spot partly because it is it's been open continuously since the 30s we get a lot of folks who come in and we're like hey we were here on our honeymoon 43 years ago all that kind of that kind of thing um i don't know this for sure i somebody needs to write a book about the early history of patos it's super interesting but i believe it is the oldest continuous live music having business in the city um there's other buildings that have had music for you know longer and and you know other places that have kind of come and gone and whatnot and are you know places that are equally as as well known or as iconic or um but yeah and it's a, it's a really incredible job you know this kind of gets into as like a little sneak peek preview talking about you know the the whole sort of workshop that i've been doing around working musician life and all the different forms that can take paddos gives us a w2 in health care so it's pretty unusual in that way. So, you know, I've I've been there for eight years, which is a long time to do many kinds of jobs. Um, but in Patos years, it's considered, like I'm literally still considered brand new because um, people stay there for like, 30, 40 years because it's so steady, You'll, you know, buy houses and raise kids. Um, so it's also, as a side note, um, the anniversary, like the day that Patos is considered to have opened in 1933, is the day after um, prohibition ended? <laughs> prohibition ended, and they were like, ta-da! <laughs> we don't know where all this alcohol came from. Now we're now we're open. We were definitely not open." Because they probably
2: day. they, they uh, certainly weren't doing that during
1: prohibition at all. <laughs> definitely was not a speed. I mean, like I said, somebody needs to write a book about the early history. Um yeah, that was one of my like my favorite realizations was when like the, the 80th anniversary of Pato's was the day after the 80th anniversary of the end of prohibition. I was like, Oh, um, so yeah, so that's Pat O'Brien and and our whole thing is we will play any song ever. It would, it's a really unusual job in, in music. And it, you know, in terms of sort of the actual specific combination of skills that it requires, um, because a lot of it is really just sort of like musical having, um, musical gutsiness and just the world like yep I'm going to try this thing I heard it on the radio once I've heard my coworkers do it I vaguely know how it goes you know a lot of popular music is something that you can make recognizable if you have you know kind of a solid understanding of of sort of popular music theory um you know so I can kind of fake my way through most things. And there's, you know, to differ, to differing degrees, I guess, how willing I am to play different things badly. You know, there's certain music that I'm willing to play and it's just like, okay, that was recognizable, that's fine. And then there are certain things, um, you know, including jazz and other sort of like more sort of specialized or, you know, virtuosic types of music, um, or even like artists that I really admire. Like, I don't want to do a bad job playing a Beyonce song like that to me just feels <laughs> terrible um,
2: what's what's the most requested song at paddos
1: piano man sweet Caroline brown-eyed girl don't stop believing <laughs> the thing of the day is you know um yeah no it's it's uh, it's such a fascinating it's such a fascinating job like it's and it's amazing to see what gets asked for and what doesn't and, like, what is suddenly popping up, like, you know, four times a night? And you're like, what the hell is that? Like, I've never heard of it. Okay, I guess I need to learn it. Um,
2: it's, it's you know, as you're saying all this and you were, you're talking about Pato's again being like a W-2 employee that, I mean, you essentially have a career over there. Um, it's, I mean, you're also, like, working in an environment that probably would in no way reflect a career type situation. I mean, you're working late at night, surrounded by a lot of heavy drinking and, and.
1: On Bourbon like, Street too. Mm-hmm. You could do a whole, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I know I've said this, but somebody write this book, it, it is really fascinating. And again, it's like people raising kids and, you know, sort of buying houses and having these kind of like the, some of the structures that are not, often is easily accessible to musicians and folks in sort of the cultural economy. But yeah, I mean, I'm working till 2 a.m. or I mean, pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, I had a really um, regular schedule. I worked Sunday afternoons, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights until two in the morning. And it was just, it was so normal. Um, and I've always kind of had this dual identity also working with Macno, like you said, sort of doing a lot of, you know, daytime type of stuff. So I've always had this sort of, you know, people who work with me, in, in the Macno context, know that, like, before 10, a, really before 11 a.m., like, like. Don't please, hit me up. <laughs> please <don't. laughs> like, please don't. Like, no, what? Um, but also that schedule that I had meant that I kind of had the weekends free, so I could hang out with, you know, non-musician friends who had, week you know, weekday jobs, um, or go see friends play music, or freelance freelancing music. I've always maintained some freelancing on the side, um, which historically was not something that Pato's, piano players are always uh, encouraged to do but it's something that, that I've always managed to do. Um, how
2: how how do you handle like um you know you know you are an artist in and of yourself and, how, and again like doing a gig like Pado's where you're playing a lot of covers and pop songs and things on the radio how do you handle yeah being creative and, and doing a job.
1: This question. No it's such a good it's such a good question. Um the way I often describe it is that that j- this is that that job has more musical integrity than I thought it might, by which I mean, it's in some ways very, very, very different than like a Bourbon Street cover band gig because I'm not playing the radio edit version exactly the same way every time. You know, it is, I have coworkers who kind of will modify their vocal timbre to sort of sound like the singer of the song that they're doing you know they do a very different type of singing for you know billy joel versus um elvis versus um you know britney spears or whatever i've never done that um it, it's very sort of um a lot of autonomy musically speaking so it's my it's me singing metallica or singing you know whoever um singing like 90s rap like it's it's very much me and because of that, um, and because it's not so, in that way, it's really not a cover band type of gig. Um, we definitely have at least at least one person, maybe only one, who was like in a cover band, like in casinos for years. And I've definitely talked to him about how it, it's it's different. Um, so it has been, and, and I guess that's sort of what I meant by it. It's a it's a really interesting and unusual sort of intersection of skills, like who who likes that job and who's good at that job and who enjoys that job is a really, like a really small Venn diagram of musicians because there's a lot of people who want to do more virtuosic stuff. Like you don't get to kind of stretch out as a piano. You know, I'm not a technically especially accomplished piano player. I don't have any kind of like um, studied performance background um, or with with singing. Um, So it is very sort of, it's something that I that happens to suit me really well because, you know, I'm almost never bored. There's always, you know, it's a lot of the 80% of people are gonna ask for the same few hundred songs, but there's always some weird, like weird stuff. And every once in a while you get a song, you're like, oh, cool, I'm gonna kill that song. Like, let's do it. And then you get songs and you're like, oh yeah, no, this is gonna be terrible. Or you get in the middle of it and you're like, wow, this is absolutely atrocious. The thing about it, is it's basically practicing because you're, you know, it's hours a night, a lot of the same songs over and over. I hear coworkers who are really accomplished piano players do something, you know, some interesting thing. I try it, absolutely sounds awful, doesn't matter, the audience is drunk, I'll try it again in an hour. And all of a sudden, eight years later, I'm like a way better piano player than I used to be. Um, And it's also, and this gets into like all kinds of other issues, it's taught me to take up space on a stage, in a room, as and as a woman in music, there's a whole sort of swath of stuff there too. You know, I was still in my 20s when I started that job. Um, and I there was a ton of sort of growth for me in the not actually specifically musical parts of it, but that kind of like, you know, even when I auditioned, I remember they said like, okay, you can clearly play the piano and, and you know, you sing really well, but like, can you control this room full of people? Because it, it's, a, it's a lot about, and this gets into that that sort of musician life workshop that I was talking about. One of the big things I talk about is what do we perform aside from music? We perform humor, we perform connection, we perform sexuality, we perform nostalgia, all these things. Um, and that kind of you know taking up space and, and commanding the room and Sort of curating and crafting people's experience and leading people through an experience um, has been just i think in uh, just I, I can't even measure how good that's been for me um and in an interesting sort of i guess coincidence right around the time i started at patos about maybe like eight six or eight months before that is when macno sort of formed by accident and early early macno was weekly community meetings which through a kind of a, accidental process i ended up leading and i was you know this sort of 20 something year old like person who, who was you know with this incredibly steep learning curve so i in like 2012 2013 and then going forward from there i sort of had this crash course in learning to take up space and command a room as a young woman um and it wasn't until a number of years later that i i really sort of noticed how those two things like fit together and literally shaped the way I approach the world. I mean in terms of, you know, my own confidence and and just ability to kind of I guess be effective. Um, Can you
0: do you mind backing up since we're here at Macno yeah. and, and kind of tell the people what Macno stands for and and also what what's yes. the mission of Macno is?
1: Absolutely. Um and and Greg when you, were, when you were trying to sort of you know spell, spell it out, it is, it's a name that was chosen by committee in these weekly meetings in 2012, and it reads that way. It's the Music and Culture Coalition of New Orleans, which doesn't really mean anything. And over the years, we've really gotten away from using the full name um, because Macno itself has kind of gained this name recognition. So what Macno is, um, is this tiny little nonprofit that sits, as, as we say, at, at the intersection of culture and policy. Uh, And it's all of the different ways that law and policy impact music and culture. And that sounds really sort of disconnected from real life or sort of, you know, nerdy in a way that's not, um, you know, I I often talk about how we do all the really unsexy things like zoning law. Um, But what that means in practice is stuff like law enforcement interactions with street performers, which can be incredibly problematic. We get a lot of calls about that. Um, It's stuff like, where can you perform Live music, like the ways that live music is regulated under the legal system, are incredibly um, frustrating in a a number of ways. And our our stickers, um, you know, for anybody, I guess, listening in in New Orleans, if you've ever seen them, they say music is not a crime. Um, And I love finding them all over the city on people's cars and recycling bins and whatever.
2: MACNO is responsible for those
1: stickers? uh We made those in like 2013. Yeah, I love seeing them, and people are always like, "That's like, what does that even mean?" Like, of course, music is not a crime, and there's this sort of invariable conversation that you know we've all had over and over and over, where it's like, unfortunately, the way the laws are written, a lot of music is actually directly against the law, and people are like, "Well, that's insane!" Like, this is New Orleans; the whole economy is built on the culture, and like, it's what makes New Orleans. It's like this very sort of predictable sort of cycle of outrage and incredulousness that people go through when they when I sort of talk about this. Um, but unfortunately, that's the reality: is that the laws on the books are often not at all accommodating to or nurturing of cultural practices, um, and the cultural practices often grow up sort of without either without being aware of um, the laws on the books, or you know, it just sort of never it never was brought not it never brought up. And then, of course, what you've had post Katrina, in particular is the, the sort of the combination of a spotlight, an international spotlight being shown on the city. Um, people moving into neighborhoods where maybe they had not lived before. And all of a sudden you have these direct conflicts with cultural practices and people and places and people who have issues with cultural people and practices and places realizing that the law is actually favoring them in terms of shutting things down. Um, and that's kind of a very short and cynical version. So the thing I talk about a lot is we do a lot of like putting out fires, like, oh, this music venue is getting sued by a neighbor. This place is, you know, struggling with permitting around this, you know, this street performer was harassed by a, you know, a law enforcement agent who, who you know, misquoted the, the law or, you know, trampled on their rights, putting out fires, but then the other piece of it is making the landscape less flammable, like really trying to work on the underlying stuff um, and to give sort of a very concrete example of that, and again, this is where it gets like into the the unsexy. Um, the the comprehensive zoning ordinance, you know, every city, almost every city, I think, has one. It's a very normal thing, and it just kind of dictates what you can do where in a city. Um, that's you know basically what zoning law is. And in 2015, they they overhauled it and they updated it, and among other things, and this is just like a really tiny example, restaurant. A business that was that was um, zoned as a restaurant could have live music, but only up to a trio and unamplified. So you could have a trio of tubas, but you could not have a- <laughs> You weren't ready for the, the, the tuba trio. I, I got you there. Um, oh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> but you know, if you're a singer and like, you need a microphone so you don't blow out your voice. Like it's a very ordinary thing. Um, but legally, you could not have a microphone if you were a singer with, you know, a guitarist and a bassist in a restaurant. So we were able to get that language taken out in the 2015 update. Um, and the, Macno is, is three people. It's me um, and then a guy named Renard Bridgewater, who's also a performer. He's a, a hip hop MC and also a hip hop scholar. He runs the first ever um, hip hop show that W-O-Z has ever had, which... You know, I just want to give him a shout out for that. It's awesome. Um, and, then, and he's our community engagement coordinator. And then all, and then Ethan Ellistad, who is the executive director. And Ethan is basically what, probably one of the most expert people in the country about zoning law and culture just sort of by accident because nobody does this work. Like nobody has sort of the, the mix of interest and the inclination and the, the expertise. Um, so Ethan is not a performer, but he's really, really expert on this kind of stuff um so because we were sort of paying attention and we saw this opportunity we got that language that restrictive language taken out so restaurants can have music simply restricted by the sound level and in some cases like the time of day depending on the zoning and you might have like a but having it restricted by sound level and time of day is so much better than having it restricted in any way by like the type of sound producing devices because that just gets into this like Terrible, stupid, slippery slope that absolutely does not work.
2: I mean, I would have been cool if y'all would have changed it to like outlawing
0: three sousaphones in a in a trio setting. <laughs> I, I I I I do want to interject and just say this because some people might be listening to this uh, because most most of our listeners are not in New Orleans, so so people might be listening to this and be like, "Why is this important?" And and as a musician, I'll tell you why. It's because in in a place like New Orleans, you got a lot of people moving into the city who aren't from New Orleans. So if, for instance, if you move from Idaho, you expect in your neighborhood to be quiet at night. But <laughs> but if you move to the French Quarter, uh this expectation is bullshit. And so you can't really you need organizations like Magno to advocate on the musicians' behalf so so that, you know, Musicians aren't shut up because the police, like she said, the police will come in. You gotta shut up. We got this law. The MacNo comes in and says, "Well, actually, they don't gotta shut up until midnight. So play on." And that's that's kind of why it's important. Is they they're basically they advocate on the musicians' behalf so that the musicians can keep the culture of that particular place alive. You know,
1: um, I I would love I would love to work myself out of that job. I would love if there was no more work to do. Like I would so happily like. Like, okay, cool. We solved it. Um, and, and I wanted to talk about like, um, Darian, your wording there was, was, I thought so important. You're like, why is this important? And that's exactly what I mean when I talk about it not being sexy or about it sort of not being, not seeming relevant, like Macno exists. And I sort of mentioned that again, our origin story, it kind of formed by accident and it totally did. It was, grew out of the series of community meetings that grew out of a meeting called by trumpet player, Kermit Ruffins to talk about you know, some music venues that had been told by the city that they couldn't have live music because their permitting wasn't in order. Um, but there's this gap. There's this, I mean, and this is true in a number of different sort of areas of life. There's a gap between legal, legal and power systems and sort of people who have access to that stuff and who know that stuff. And then a gap between that and then the people who are experts in in terms of like their lived experience. So like, like between legal legal people and, and structures, and then musicians. I'm not explaining that super well, but that gap is where Macno sits, and we bridge that gap, and we, you know, and it's a bunch of things. It's taking, like, the city says, okay, you know, we have changed this ordinance to say, blah. It's taking that and making it accessible. It's taking that and making it relevant and saying, hey, this is practically what this, what this could mean, And then it's also the other way around, you know, the the, the sort of two-way channel of communication is making sure that um, the concerns of the community get channeled directly to the people who are in power, because what happens is there is, you know, historically not a lot of direct representation of what anybody in the cultural community wants in terms of crafting law or policy, which is why you get these laws that are at best misguided. And at worst, probably malicious because of people who are like, no, I just want, you know, and to be like super, I guess, transparent about it. Um, a lot of that is racism, like straight up, you know, if we're talking about kind of that gap in terms of who has access to power, there's tons of stuff there around race and class. Um, and that, you know, obviously is true of of all politics as well.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. As As you're talking about all of this, like I'm having flashbacks of 2012 to that. There was like this, I feel like there were a couple eras after, after Katrina that happened. There was like, you know, this, this, like just again, cleaning up, there was the rebuilding. Then there was like a couple of different scenes of musicians that happened um, in 2012. I, I believe that's like when Bacchanal was going through like all these zoning issues. Frenchman Street had a, a bunch of zoning issues. And, and yeah, what you're saying too is like directly, um, yeah, racism and uh, it's, it's just crazy, again, when, when you think about people coming, like, I'm, say the word gentrification, but people from new communities coming to a place like New Orleans that has a very, um, you know, an indigenous population that has a, a routine and a, and a strong culture. And again, what, what Darian was saying is some people don't want that. And unfortunately, when, when you have money and if you're a lawyer moving from California or wherever, New York and you can come on down and you know how to change those laws and you know how to get in direct contact with the politicians. And, and you're probably hanging out with them at the, uh, at the country club at the Ritz on Friday night and stuff. <laughs> Versus all of us here in new Orleans who are just trying to make music.
1: And that's that gap. That's that information gap and that empowerment gap. And, and Mac, like we talk a lot about that and just, you know, translating, translating stuff, you know, as it's needed. Um, And something you just said also, like, you know, you know how to change those laws if you have sort of access to certain types of of information and whatnot, but you may not even have to change them. And that kind of gets back to the, like, music is not a crime, is that the laws on the books are so unfriendly to music and culture. Um, And Bacchanal is a really good example. And for anybody who's listening, who's not, not, you know, here in town, um, it's this space, this sort of, it was sort of a, a wine bar with a big outdoor space and they had some live music. And then there was this whole massive sort of, pushback against them from some neighbors who didn't like the, you know, the, the sound levels. And 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 that was all sort of going on just before MACNO formed. So that was not one that I ever had any kind of like sort of involvement or even like a a sort of a, a, any any insight into aside from sort of like, you know, what what everybody knows. Um, but it, it kind of still stands as like one of the, you know, the, the strongest examples of a spot kind of just going through hell. And I mean, the fact is, and, you know, I, I, I try to always be really, um, to make sure I say this because people are like, well, what about, you know, quality of life and this and that neighborhoods and cities change and evolve. Like they do. The question then becomes who gets to decide and arbitrate and declare what is good change and what is bad change. And, you know, we know, we know who that is. We know like, it's people who are, who have access to privilege and power, um, and they're like, you know, I want. This is what I think has been what I think is good. Is now I'm going to declare it's objectively good, and you know, write it into law, and that's obviously part of the problem. Um, you know, because and the and this is another thing that I, I talk about a lot with Macno for sure is this difference between legally regulating something and socially regulating it. And what I what I mean by that is a lot of cultural practices, especially if they kind of just grew up organically, like, if, I mean, almost anything that grew organically, you know, even like, let's take early Frenchman, because I've been doing a lot of sort of research on the history of, of that. Um, things that grow organically have nuance that can be so incredibly hard to legally regulate after the fact. Like you cannot craft a law that, you know, has sort of the same effect as like, the kind of verbal agreement that the bar on the corner has music on Thursdays, most Thursdays, if, you know, Mr. Joe feels like playing and they're going to stop, yeah, you know, kind of whenever. And if, you know, Miss Betty next door, like, asks them to stop and they might stop, like, you know, and, and maybe the, and then, you know, maybe on once in a while, it's not on a Thursday, it's on a Tuesday because, uh, you know, like you cannot legally regulate that stuff. It just, It's too complex. And what happens is the sort of the complexities of cultural practices that grow organically just get sort of ignored or erased or squashed. Um, But I guess I just want to acknowledge the very, very real challenges in then, you know, the city kind of playing catch up all the time. You know, Frenchman Street's a a great example. It grew organically through the 70s and 80s. And then in 1992, They proposed a zoning overlay that would basically make what was already there legal because it was technically not. Um, And the zoning overlay was not passed for 12 years. It didn't pass until 2004, at which point it was immediately obsolete because of how many things had opened up in the meantime. Like You literally cannot, like you're always playing catch up if you're trying to legally regulate things that have grown organically. And this is um, one of my most, I guess, common rants that I... That I like to go on Um, because I mean it it is it's always an issue. But the thing that I always talk about is our laws reflect what we value, and we need to have legal language that doesn't just treat music like at best right now it's like a nuisance. Like if it's not a crime, it's like a nuisance, and it's something to be kind of squashed and managed and regulated. We need to have legal language that nurtures, and you know not just protects and preserves in like the sort of the past sense, but you know. Leaves room for growth and nurturing and honoring the cultural practices and places and people.
2: That's that's, that's such an important thing here in New Orleans too. Because I mean, at the end of the day, why, people come to New Orleans for the music, for the food, and for the party. And when you remove that, this this
0: is this is not a place you want to be. So, but dig <laughs> dig this. I I, I want to play devil's advocate for a second. On, okay, okay. Right. So say. I'm a New Orleanian, I, I live where I live. I live on Frenchman Street, you know? And the street is how it is now, and and maybe it's gonna change more. But, I, you know, I want the music to stop at a certain time, so, you know, I complain, this and that. Do I also get a, a voice? You know, like, what? Where where is my voice in the mix, you know? I, I Like, I think that's kind of what happened at Bacchanal. I love Bacchanal, and I think it's one of the greatest places to go in the world, and everybody should go there. But Back then, back in like 2010 or whenever they were going through that stuff, I think those guys were, the neighbors were already there. It wasn't like they moved there. Bacchanal came after them. And so that's annoying as shit. Like, you know, like if you own a house, (laughs) like my neighbors down, down, like a half a mile away, I saw that they're building a Popeye's behind their house. I was like, oh, that's fucked up. I don't want to smell chicken every day. But like, what do you do in that situation? You know, do you want Popeye's behind your house? no.
1: So I, that's a super important point. And I, I'm really glad you said that because it's something that I always try to make sure that I, that I center in these conversations is that I'm not at all trying to be dismissive of quality of life concerns because it can really devolve into that. And the other thing that I also like, so, so try to avoid is the, who is their first thing because it can just devolve into that and that's not at all productive. Um, And, and that's, what I was sort of trying to get at when I, when I was saying cities and neighborhoods change and evolve, like that's just a fact. Who gets to decide what's good and what's bad? That's exactly the point is, you know, things are gonna keep changing. Um, and one thing of course is, you know, the science of sound is not even all that well understood and it's often, and I am in no way a sound scientist, but I feel like a lot of us who sort of worked in this space have kind of gotten this crash course in like at least the basic understanding of the fact that the science of sound is complicated and it's often sort of misquoted or you know um and so you know if you're someone who's living on frenchman street and you've watched frenchman street change and evolve in some like really crazy ways first of all um there are decibel limits in in the zoning code so if things are you know if it's a question of I'm trying to I guess sort of like I'm trying to one thing I try to do is really like try to separate out the different threads. Like what is actually the problem? Is it that there is sound that is in a place where there was not sound before? Is it that it is louder? It is that is it that it's a different type of music? And now we get into that that really slippery issue of like trying to arbitrate by type of music, which is like such a no-no because that will never ever ever um sort of Legally possible, like you absolutely cannot bring that kind of judgment into it. Um, because again, there's just too many power imbalances. Um, but you you know what I'm saying? Like, really, sort of pulling apart the threads of like not just oh, who is there first, but like what is it? Because, and this is one thing that comes up a lot is people like, Well, I can hear it, (laughs) and audibility, like being able to hear something, is not necessarily the basis for you know a legal complaint. Like there's a certain amount, you know, a certain level up to which it being heard is not a problem. And this is something I talk about. And this, again, gets into these issues of privilege, like people who are very privileged. You know, they hear something and they don't want to hear it. They didn't hear it before. And the the, the description I often use is people who are very privileged then kind of pick up the legal system and use it as a hammer against things they don't like. And they just kind of you know bash it. Um, but your point about, you know, do people's complaints you know, deserve consideration. Absolutely. Like, it's not at all, you know, we used to sort of have this joke that, like, there was a sort of one neighborhood, this sort of advocacy organization in the French Quarter. Um, and we used to kind of joke that, like, you know, what what they thought Macno was trying to do was like install trombone players in everybody's living room. We're like, we're really not. <laughs> trios of tubas. phone trios. <laughs> uh, like, honestly, I promise that's not it. The problem is that there are such historical power imbalances. And this gets into, you know, when I say like it, it that race comes into it and all these other things, like there is this assumption that music, like live music and cultural practices... Are sort of automatically wrong. And and so that power imbalance is so great that yes, MACNO tends to be leaning pretty heavily on the side of both people's legal rights and also sort of right to do cultural things in in like a non, not quite legal sense, but like a sort of, you know, who whose quality of whose quality of life, you know, who gets to kind of dictate like what is what is a good quality of life and all that stuff. So it, keeping that you know keeping validity there while also not letting you know wealthy entitled not even necessarily entitled people not letting entitled people shape the landscape solely in the image of what they think is good like that's the tricky
2: yeah i like i like i love what you were saying earlier too about again just like you know joe's bar and then the neighbor is you know can walk over and just say hey like you know the the music's going a little too late tonight can y'all cut it off or next tuesday can y'all not have music again like these new orleans i feel like one of the things that makes new orleans a very special city is like everyone knows everyone on the block everyone knows the bar owner down the street you know you say what's up you you say hi to people and sorry just on this aside pisses me off when I say hi to people and they don't even acknowledge me and I'm like man go back to wherever you're from we don't need we don't need you here (laughs) but um,
1: as a northerner I can say it took me like a solid six months (laughs) to not do it when someone said hi to me like when I moved here when I was 22 and I was just like no don't talk to me go away and then and now and now I do like I go up north and I'm like, hey, hi, hey,
2: hello. oh yeah, <laughs> in New York City, like, hey everybody, what's going on? Hey, what's up? What's up? Uh, but yeah, it's like there's that power of the handshake deal too, because it it built, I think that's like ultimately what strengthens communities too. Is a been like you know, being if you, when you have an issue with your neighbor, you walk next door, you say something, you you have a conversation, you work it out. As opposed to, you know, fuck you, and then three days later, there's like they're being served legal papers, and then that's when you have a real problem. <laughs> You know, and, right, and I-
1: like, yeah, it's, but, but Darian's point about, like, what about the validity of people who, you know, have noticed a change in their lived environment that they really either just really hate or is, you know, genuinely disruptive in some way? Like, that is a real thing. And how to sort of honor that. And, you know, unfortunately, all too often, it's been kind of tipped way too far one way. Um, And, you know, sort of trying to like rebalance that without erasing those concerns about quality of life. Like that's, and that's why it's so tricky. Um, And and I really do try to to say like as often as I can in conversations about sound and shared space that, you know, I'm not dismissive of quality of life concerns. Um, It's been an interesting um, moment sort of over this past year which is that I live within faintly sound, Range of the broadside. And I can usually hear what they're, you know, whatever's going on there. And I think it kind of depends on the wind or whatever, because some nights it's like much more clear. But I think it also depends on, you know, the level of the sound being produced and how sound carries. Um, But, you know, I've had moments of thinking about that, like, oh, you know, okay, now I'm the one who can hear. And again, you know, for me, it's been in a way that I really enjoy. But if I was, you know, several blocks closer, I, I don't know. I mean, I've wondered about the people who live a couple blocks closer as well. Um, the other thing I just wanted to kind of throw in there, and this is like you know, like the deep the deep nerd, um, is just the note that New Orleans itself is a city where sound carries. I mean, there's the the sort of maybe true and maybe not true story of Buddy Bolden blowing his horn so loudly that people could hear it all the way across town as a way to like call people over to the to the dance where he was going to play. Um,
2: we also have to take into consideration please, here in New Orleans, people play as the loudest
1: in the world. <laughs>
2: That's true. <laughs> I
1: mean, I mean, well, but also this, like the landscape itself, and this is you know again, it kind of gets beyond my own anything that I feel comfortable talking about with any kind of expertise or fluency. But I want someone else to like write this this book, I guess. New Orleans is flat. New Orleans is surrounded by water. These are all things that make sound carry. New Orleans has old buildings, which are low. Like there's all these things where like the landscape itself is conducive to sound. And again, coming from up North, inside and outside are really fluid in this climate. Like, you know, Darian, you're in New York, like in in the summer, you know, maybe less so you could be sitting on a patio or something, but like for a good chunk of the year, if you're inside, you're inside. If you're outside, you're outside. And I remember like coming down, you know, to this like semi-tropical world and being like, oh, you can kind of be outside. You're like under a covering but there's no walls or like you're at a second line parade oh and now you've gone into a bar but now you've gone back outside so like inside and outside is really fluid and the landscape itself is really conducive to sound carrying in certain ways and then of course you have something like you know the Claiborne overpass bridge which when it was built completely disrupted the the you know historic black Treme, but then has become part of the landscape and it's where the bands go to like show off and play loudly and like they use it as an as an amphitheater and it's the sort of incredible feature of the of the physical musical landscape um and I feel like I'm just sort of ranting about um, you
0: know I was just gonna I, I was just gonna you know listen <laughs> if your ass
1: no, bring, bring back. <laughs> if,
0: if your ass don't like loud music move to Metairie you know, because <laughs> and don't come to New York either because I can hear my neighbors chewing Cheerios. So you go hey, you, hey, you know, just don't oh,
1: wow, they're they chewing, them, they chewing
0: them. These walls, man, I feel like they, they paper thin, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, the sound thing, I, I get it. I get it. It can be annoying, especially if you're not from the place and then you move into a place trying to absorb the culture, which takes time. And then some guys out front your house with 10 of his friends playing trump tubas and trombones and saxophones and bass drums and snare drums. That's a lot, man. But at the same time, you got to you gotta respect the culture. And and that's, that's the piece that I think when people move from anywhere to somewhere new is they forget that place had a culture before you, it's going to have a culture after you. So so the first thing you got to do is check your ego and say, okay, how how can I be a part of the culture versus like trying to change the culture to what it was in Idaho? You know what I'm saying? It, that's And
2: you know, the thing is too, what you're saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about all this stuff too, but like New Orleans, I feel like in the last 10 years has become like a Disneyland type situation too, where like every weekend there's a festival. There's, there's so many more venues than there were 10, 10 years ago. Um, e- everyone is playing all the time and, and so sometimes as someone who lives in the city I feel overwhelmed by the fact I'm like man there's another party like this weekend down the street what's going on like or uh, it's not even a party but like again like an organized event there's crawfish festival there's there's you know beignet festival there's coffee festival there's chicken festival there's there's everything happening so I guess you know in, in defense of everyone living in the city it's definitely
1: oh, food item festivals make me laugh which, which is they- <laughs> real tomato and the fried chicken and the gumbo like every every like food item now has a festival and I just think it's really funny um the the word you you said the word Disneyfication or Disney you know Disneying like I think that's really important that gets tossed around a lot and people sort of toss it around um you know in ways that I sort of agree with in ways that I that I don't um but you know I it really, to me, I think comes back to this idea that like things are going to change and evolve over time. How do we make sure that they're changing in ways that nurture and preserve what we like? Um, And, you know, while also like mitigating harm or or whatever. So I, I feel like, yeah, just that, because people talk about like, oh, you know, New Orleans, New Orleans was, you know, not the same as it was in whatever year or whatever year before that, or whatever year before that, and like, you know, yeah, things have changed over time and there's any number of things that like I wish had been done differently, um, especially after the storm, um, you know, to sort of, to recognize how like things have played out in ways that, that were really predictable, but were just sort of like the, the, there were there wasn't like the thought or the resources necessarily to, you know, take the actions then. Um, that you know could have could have changed it. So yeah, the Disneyfication thing. Yeah. I, I guess I part me just hates to hear that because I'm like, no, no, it's still here and it's still real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: I, I appreciate yeah. what you said too. Like change is the only constant too. And and it, I guess on some level we all have to be flexible and embrace the fact that we it's always changing and we we can either change with it or we can get left in the dust and complain about it for the rest of our life. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, we you know we have a couple of minutes left here. But I, you know, something that Darian and I both would really looking forward to is is having you um, come and hang at our camp and or another opportunity to work with some of our students. And you've been doing these wonderful presentations about uh, life as a working musician. And I was wondering if uh, maybe you could share a couple of thoughts from um, your presentation or some of these things that you have been meditating on to to share with this this next generation of cats.
1: I would love to, and yeah, I've I've gotten to now do this twice um, with the students from the and Tr- Trumpworthy Tr- 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 Foundation, which was so much fun and so interesting. And then again, a, which is very different with a, a class of Tulane students who are not not musicians but um, interested in sort of the economics of like the creative economy. So it was like a much more sort of zoomed out, um, you know, I, I guess a different type of nerd. We're all nerds, um, but the the general sort of overview of this workshop that I've been just sort of developing, it's been kind of just like bouncing around in my head for years and I finally have started to kind of externalize it is let's like talk about what it means to be a working musician. Let's talk about all the things that don't, let me, one one version is like, what are all the things that we don't learn in music school? Ha. Um, ha. And it gets back to the kind of like what I mentioned before about like all the things we perform that are not music performing humor performing sexuality and like how that plays out as a woman in music and like you know all these things and one of the exercises that I that I do in this workshop is talk about all the different types of careers that you can have um and you know with the trombone shorty kids kids I mean they were were young young people they were from like 12 to I think like 22 or something um You know, I I kept saying like fame does not equal success. Success does not equal fame. You can be the bass player of a wedding band and work really steadily and make a really great living. I mean, you know, I'm not famous under my own name. Pat O's is famous, but I'm sort of, there's like that sort of like anonymous, but successful thing, which a lot of times I think doesn't get untangled consciously enough. And I, I want all like young musicians to do some really good thinking about that because you know, you can be a band leader. You can be a sideman. Being a really good sideman requires a whole different skill set. Being a really good band leader requires a skill set. Being a band leader versus being the front person of a band—that's like a lot of times those get conflated. Um, you know, and then there's so many other models. You know, being a music educator or having another job that is sort of in music. Um, you know, an example that I use is like a couple of years ago. Um, two bands that I'd been in for a really long time, um, one for eight years, one for four years, one of them Sunset, and one of them I was asked to leave. Like, it was not my choice to leave it. Um, and I had this, like, sort of complete meltdown. I'm like, I'm not even a musician. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, but somebody at the time was kind of like, you still make your living playing piano and singing on the stage every night. I was like, oh, yeah. And it was like, Pat O's was sort of like, the day job in that way like it you know and like you were talking about earlier of so it not being as maybe as musically fulfilling um but you know that kind of thing or, or you know being in a wedding band or working on a cruise ship or working in a casino like there's so many or you know the pit orchestra on broadway like you know what if you're the music director for Cirque du Soleil like there's so many jobs in music um and so that's kind of the whole first part of the workshop is just like talking about all the different you know um and I, I use all these sort of different real life examples. And you know, I was talking to the Trombone Shorty guys and I was like, okay, let's talk about you know fame and success. I was like, Trombone Shorty, famous? Yeah. Successful? Yeah. I was like, what about Trombone Shorty saxophone player? Like, like, is he is he famous? No. Is he successful? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Um, and actually, and that's a guy named Dan Ostreich, who I, who I then ran into a few days later. I was like, just so you know, you were an example in my workshop the other day. And he was like, wait, what? Yeah, sorry, buddy. Um, like i guess that's now since i've been developing this workshop i guess that's now like a um, hazard of knowing me is you know your life might end up
2: you're going to be in the workshop <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but you know but like you could see these guys thinking like like they'd never really thought about this before they were like okay fame does not equal success and, you know and then we talked about all these other things that you perform aside from, aside from music, you know, all these other things that I talked about. And the, the performing sexuality is one that, you know, one of the ways I sort of came to this whole thing was by doing a lot of researching and thinking and writing about um, tipping and the history of tipping and what it means and how that plays out, particularly for women in music and, you know, sort of what it means to be. And, you know, there, there's some real issues around, um, yeah, that, that sort of need to perform Form sexuality and again with you know people being an example I know a drummer who um is a woman and she remembers she tells this story about being asked to walk the tip bucket around which is you know a way that you kind of get more tips is by kind of putting this in people's faces and a lot of times women get asked to do it because there's this kind of flirtatiousness um that's you know sort of built into it and hustling for tips is its own skill set. It's like an entirely separate skill set and, and I always sort of talk about that. Like, you know, if you are doing this, you are doing music and you are also doing this other thing that like doesn't get acknowledged as its own its own thing. So, um this drummer, she was like literally asked to walk the tip bucket and she was like my boobs are more important than the beat. Like I'm literally getting off stage right now. The rest of the band plays like basically like fuck y'all. Like she was so angry and then of course you know somebody was like, "Hey, smile." And she like was you know it's amazing she didn't kill anybody but that 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 anecdote always just sticks with me as like even if you're you know not on stage performing because a lot of times if there is a woman on stage there's very often just one and she's very often the singer slash front person and you know being a side person as a music as a woman um and i, I could you know spend another hour talking about gender and music i've done a ton of like thinking and sort of trying to you know get my head around this um let's see what else what else is in this workshop we talk about kind of the width of your wheelhouse versatility versus versu- versatility versus virtuosity god that's hard to say um and like you know what does that mean oh i love that
2: versatility versus virtuosity that is killing
1: <laughs> yep um
2: i never thought about that <laughs>
1: see like thinking thinking about things that we don't often think about like thinking about the underlying structures of things is i would say one of my favorite things to do and one of my strong suits i would, I would so
0: H- hannah dig, dig this you know this yeah. this is one of my this is I, I love this conversation this is my shit greg already knows i i think uh <laughs> i think university is bullshit but that's a different conversation but i i, I think one thing that musicians never learn and they should absolutely learn from day one, uh, one of the most important things is storytelling. And then maybe the second most important thing, if maybe the first two, two firsts is financial literacy. Um, Because think think about Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Apple. Like, what do they do? I was just talking to my wife. I was like, remember when Apple told us that we needed to have a thousand songs in our pocket? And everybody was like, nah, I don't need that. (laughs) One year later, we all needed it. I used to be cool with five CDs. And then, like, they said, you know what you need? You need a thousand songs in your pocket. And I was like, ah, damn, I need it. And I need to pay $500 for it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Musicians need that ability. Like, if you ask a musician, like, okay, cool. Tell me me about this product you're trying to sell me. Which is your music? Which is your CD? Which is... Whatever the fuck it is you're creating, they're just like, uh, eh, I don't know. You know, like, I play good and shit. And, and you know, it's like, bruh, no one cares. No one <laughs> cares that you can play. Guess what? Everybody can play. What? Everybody what can is your play. story? And then, okay, you got a good story.
1: All right? And, that, I mean, that's, that's like, that's so central to it is, yeah, how do you get and this kind of gets back to like these gaps, like why Macno exists in this like legal, this gap between like legal and, and culture folks. There's a gap between like financial knowledge and financial experts in this and that, and cultural people and financial structures and systems. And it's something that I've wanted to do through Macno for years is like financial literacy workshops. And we did one back in April and it was so good. Like it, it went off so well because people were like, yes, like I want to know these things. Um, and one of the things that we did was have some musicians talk. So it wasn't just like, oh, this lady from the bank or this guy who's a CPA. It was, here are some of your peers, like you know these people and they're telling you like what they do as band leaders or like how they keep a written list of whatever to try to make it more accessible because they're really, and and it's only made more insane by the fact, not insane, that's the wrong word. It's made more, um, the gap is just widened by the fact that for good or for bad, in New Orleans, even more I think, than other places, there's a, at least partly cash economy. And all that stuff, all the business structures kind of just go out the window when it's a cash economy because you don't need them. And then you can't get, a- I mean, and it happened with the pandemic, like, oh my God, people were not able to access resources because they hadn't done taxes or they didn't have an LLC or they, you know, didn't have the like backlog of stuff that they needed to access and so this is one of the things I told the trombone, shorty students, as I was just like, put your shit on paper in some form, like whatever it is, whether you make an LLC, whether you just like keep a written list of your gigs. You know, I, I'm a we're we're a two musician household, and I was like helping my partner, like he keeps track, you know, in his he uses a paper planner, God bless him, um, and he keeps track of all of his gigs and like how much money he made, but we were like assembling it into a spreadsheets so that he could then use that to like give to i don't know jazz and heritage or somebody to try to get money you know it's just this kind of like put your shit on paper yeah. um, you, you know
0: the thing is greg and i've been teaching this exact class since 2016 every summer at the Sanaa music workshop and um you know it's something that the kids think you know they think is boring and and what so one year what i did was because i'm a spreadsheet guy and so i i got spreadsheets from every gig project that i've ever played and so I just pulled it up. I just pulled it up. I was like, all right, so this was 2015 and I made X. And then this year, oh, this year I made a bunch of money. Look, and you know, and it's like, I know every gig I've, every gig I've ever played and how much I've made every year. There's trends. It's like, oh yeah, this is where you're going to make all the money. This is going to be slow. It's it's the same every year, year in, year out, no matter who you're playing with. That's, that's the vibe. So this shit is important. So keep, 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 keep on keeping I'm so on.
1: so glad you did. <laughs> This. No, you guys too. I'm. I'm. I was so happy when I, when I can't. When I sort of reconnected with with Greg, and you know, just to, to realize what you guys have been doing is, I'm. It's so good. I'm. I'm so glad that more people are starting to. It's like in the like you said in the last five years.
2: Um. I, I. It's it's really that combination too. Is like again, like in the last ten years, so much has changed with the internet, and you know that. The, the end of the music industry as, as we used to know it, or we, as we were taught in school and things like that. And, and it really, really comes down to like our generation and future generations will be responsible for all aspects of their life. And that's probably going to translate into other fields too, not just music in the future. So it's, it's, I think it's really important to, to just approach this music education as like a full integration of like, you're a, mus- you're a musical business. And I think that's also, again, like, why we, the working, a working artist. And you you mentioned, again, like, you're a working musician. And, and to me, it's like, if, if you ain't working, I don't know what you're doing.
1: <laughs> but, you know, in, in some ways, like, you know, I always try to make it really clear that, like, I haven't done the freelance hustle in years because of this piano bar job. Like, I sort of found a relatively you know, i say the closest thing to what I do would be somebody who in like a steady wedding band or a a casino or a a cruise ship. Or or playing with Michael Buble. (laughs) Playing with Michael Buble. Like, you know, you want to talk about fame versus success. Like, I feel like that's, that's, I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. Touring with a big name. Um, So, you know, I, I also try to like be very, I guess, I always try to be very upfront about my own limitations in terms of expertise, because I never want to speak, you know, in a way where, where I don't actually have the expertise to back it up. So I, I try to be very clear that like, yep, yeah, I made this, this choice and I don't do the freelance hustle, but I have done it and I know it and I understand it. Um, and you know, I, I want everyone else to do it really well. Yeah. I guess um,
2: I, That's why we really want to, pre, pre, you know, the, to me, the goal of education too, is to provide options that you may not have been provided had you not gotten this education and you know if you want to be a freelance musician like there's there's nothing wrong with that but I think what what again like with the goal of all of these programs that you all are doing at Macno and, and what we're doing here is again like if you do want to make that transition it's important to have the skills like first of all know it's possible and then know how to make that transition and, and that's that's really what's important and necessary in our
0: city mm-hmm. Yeah, bro, it's a lot here, man. You know, Hannah, <laughs> I, can't, I can't, I can't.
1: I warned you, I talk in, in long, damn.
0: You know, I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm with it. I can't wait to get you over over at, at Sanam Music Workshop in the, to to, so to blow our kids' minds. Hopefully uh, we, we got you uh, number one on the list for next summer and um, and, and maybe for some of our other uh, programs that we're planning to go uh, through the year. But listen, it's been Beautiful talking to you. And before, you know, we kind of reaching our time here, but before we go, do you have any links or places people can connect with you? And how can they support uh, MACNO and, and everything else? Uh, all the other nonprofit organizations that you're involved with.
1: All right. your musician self-promotion time. Here we go. Um, so MACNO is just Macno.com, M-A-C-C-N-O.com. If you are curious about our our work, you know, you can you can get in touch um if you're there you know sort of read about some of the stuff that we've done um or you know donate please always <laughs> um and um for me personally let me see um i'm on i don't i don't do social media that much but i am i am on instagram at hannah bkb h-a-n-n-a-h-b-k-b um and um, one project that I absolutely want to shout out that I've been just loving so much is this weekly burlesque show called The Van Ella Bordella, which is um, sort of a theatrical immersive thing. It's it's basically like you are in a Storyville brothel in like 1910, um, and everybody you know plays a character with the madam and all the dancers, all the dancing girls. And then I am a piano professor, which, you know again, playing with gender, because historically those were most often men. Um, and so I, I sort of you know, do this kind of gender-bending, um, part, and I I sort of play all this background music, and, and the music is not at all necessarily off in that period, but it's so much fun, and it's this hilarious show, and it's wonderful, so you can find the Van Ella Bordella on Instagram as well, Um, and, and that is, that's a weekly show, so please come, come see us every, any Thursday, um, at the Always Lounge, um, and, it's so like I, I just sit there at the piano and just like laugh. Like these women are, I mean, talk about performing thing. You know, they're performing dancing and they're performing humor and they're performing sexuality. Like they are so incredibly talented. It is the most fun and yeah, I love it. Um, so yeah, please, please come any week. Um, and yeah, that's that's me. Um, if yeah, anybody, please get in touch. Um sort of from the Macno side or, you know, just musically speaking. Um, I don't get to play that much trumpet these days, but I uh, I still do a little bit and it's so much fun. And I, yeah, I just, I feel so lucky. I've sort of stumbled into this very unusual life in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like you said, the kind of weird juxtaposition of like a kind of career job at this piano bar, but I'm also working till 2 a.m. and, you know, all this stuff, like my life, my life is very unusual. Like the structures of my life are very unusual, but I feel so incredibly lucky um, to you know, to get to do all the things I do, and I love it. So I'm glad I get to come here and talk about it.
2: <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and, and you know, we, I, I learned so much over the last hour. And, and again, like what Darian oh. said, you know, we'd love to have you um, when we have our kids back at some
0: point in the coming months. So thank you so much. You. yeah you're right so my name is darian douglas and uh my name is gregory Ige. hannah thank you so much for joining us we'll catch you out next thank time you. later